I'm so glad to be here with you. Jeannie came with me. Jeannie and I have been in ministry together since we were one, and uh, just for a long, long time. And so um, all that you say has encouraged both of our hearts very much. We also were taking with how good looking you are, and we've decided it's the water. And so we're going to take some bottles with us at home because uh, you look good, and we appreciate that. Pull it up? Yes, you're taller than all of us. Good. Is that better? Sure. Is that good? Yeah. I love talking about the Word of God. Um, my little grandson, Coulter, was three years old, and I had taken him to the outlet mall shopping because I like to train them early. <laughs> and uh, we had been shopping for quite a while, a couple of hours, and he'd just been a wonderful trooper, my best shopping companion. And he got to a point where he just stopped in the middle and he said, Mimi, I cannot go any further. Will you carry me? Well, I picked that little boy up and he put his arms or his legs around my waist and his arms around my neck and he put his head on my shoulder and I'm just walking down holding this absolutely beautiful child that I love so much. And I said, now baby, let me just tell you something. Now you're a little boy and when you get tired, I'm going to carry you. But the day is going to come when you're a man. And when that happens, I'm going to be old, and uh, you'll have to carry me. <laughs> he never said a word. He, didn't, he said nothing. I actually didn't think he heard me. Three years later, he's six years old. I taught a Bible study class, and I had on heels. And that's about the only time I ever wear heels. And um, we were going to go out for Mexican food. And so he was excited about this, and he had my hand, and he was pulling on me hard. And I said, now, baby boy, don't you pull your Mimi when she's got heels on because I'll fall over, and then you'll have to carry me. And just like that, he said, oh, no, Mimi, not till I'm a man. <laughs> you know what I love about that? He remembered my words. For three years, that child, they were probably terrifying to him, that's why he remembered them, but he remembered those words. <sighs> when we come to the Word of God, I think he really wants us to remember his words. I love that picture in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is uh, Moses' last group of words before he's going to die. And he knows he's going to die. He's had 40 years in the palace. He's had, in Egypt. He's had 40 years running around uh, training sheep out in Midian. And he's had 40 years doing the hardest job, which was rounding up 2.5 million people trying to get them through the wilderness while they grumbled the whole way. And so death, I am sure he's very excited about this one. But he, he's He's giving them his last group of sermons. Now, when you know that you're going to die in a week or so, you're not going to be talking about the weather, you're not going to be wasting your words because you have so little time left and your children, 2.5 million, are in front of you and you want to leave them with the most important things in life. So that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. These are the words that are the most important things for you to remember. I don't ever want you to forget them. Now Moses had written the Pentateuch and he's got those, those scrolls in his hands. You can just see him, this old, old man talking with this vast number of people. And he takes those scrolls and he holds them up. I can just see him doing this. He holds them up and he says this. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, these are not idle words. Indeed, they are your very life. Isn't that interesting? Do you ever think of the Pentateuch as being your very life? But I do believe that God says throughout his word 
that the word of God is your very life. I wish I would have known that when I was younger, but I did not. I was raised in a great, wonderful family, and we did attend church every single Sunday. I don't remember anyone reading a Bible, though a couple of verses were said during the sermon, but I don't. We didn't carry a Bible. We didn't uh, study the Bible. I knew some Bible stories. But God always did these great and wonderful things like parting the Red Sea. And I read Guidepost Magazine. And in Guidepost Magazine, God always does fabulous things for his people. And so I had a mindset that that's who God was. Uh, He had actually answered some pretty incredible prayers for me as a teenager. I would bother him when I really needed something, but other than that, I left him alone and he left me alone. I really look back and I think I had God and Santa mixed up because he was kind of high on a throne and he wore red and he had a white beard and he was jolly and distant, but he could answer some things occasionally. I was 21 years old. I was in graduate school, and my studies took me to do a lot of work in the inner city. And so I was living on the edge of the inner city with some other young women. They, uh, all but one, was gone for the weekend. And um, we went to bed that night. And I woke up at 5 in the morning, and there was a man with a mask sitting by the side of my bed with a knife pressed up under my jawbone and a hand over my mouth. And I was jerked awake, and my first thought was, I will certainly die. I am going to be dead here any moment. And then I quickly clicked in and began to just pray, Lord, save me, save me, save me. I had read Guidepost magazine. I had read some of those Bible stories. I truly thought someone would burst through the door and rescue me. But they did not. And I was brutally assaulted. And when he left, any faith that I had in a God that was all-present or all-powerful or all-loving, it went out with him. I felt that if God loved me, he would never let anything bad happen to me. Or if maybe he just didn't love me enough or he wasn't present, maybe he was busy. Or maybe he was present and he loved me, but he was not as powerful as the evil that was in that room at that time. But whatever it was, he was not good or big enough for me. And so I divorced God. You wouldn't know that I divorced God. I kept going to church. But I had really no faith or trust in him. He simply could not be trusted. Well, I married my high school sweetheart just six weeks after that incident and began a life that I thought now would be perfect. Some of you have gone into marriage thinking that, haven't you? It's really a trick. Uh, That's what gets you down the altar. (laughs) And so we began our life together, and we had uh, two children, two little girls after that. And as time went on, there were a number of things that began to work in my marriage. First of all, I became very involved with the women's lib movement, really embracing some of their philosophies that are very harmful. I uh, was a very fearful person, as you can only imagine, and I brought all of that fear into that marriage with me. Uh, My husband became a workaholic. He was working 18 hours a day, seven days a week, week after week after week, very seldom home. But something else started changing, just the distance between us, so the the great hope that I had in marriage and how, how this now I would be happy and now I would be safe, it just wasn't happening. 
and I became more and more disillusioned, more and more depressed, and uh, I came to a place of really realizing that this marriage was over, that there was no hope for us. I could not continue on the way I was. I don't think he felt that he could continue on the way he was. And so I made a decision to divorce my husband. But with that, what came with that was just an incredible depression. And I went into a very deep depression. So much so that I would sit in my den and smoke Salem cigarettes and drink Tab uh, all day long. At nighttime, I could not sleep. I was just so wired over day after day after day. This went on for about two or three weeks. And... Uh, one day I really just started becoming afraid of my own self because I truly had gotten to a place where I just I could see no reason to live. You see, when you're in depression, your brain gets foggy. And my brain was so foggy. I could see no reason to keep going on. The pain is, was so incredibly intense, I just, I just needed to get away. And the only way I could get away, of course, was to get away from me because it was inside me. And so I was sitting in that chair in that den that day. And finally, I got to the end of Pat Harley, which was a very good place to be. And I just bowed my head and I said, I do not know if there is anyone out there. But if you are, please, please help me. It was a very unusual thing that happened next, and I'm going to tell you right now, it is unusual. This is not the way God works with everybody, because he doesn't have to. This is the way he worked with me. As I had bowed my head, the word depression came through my brain like it was on a lighted billboard. It was flashing, depression, depression. And I remember saying, look, I know I'm depressed. I, I'm a bright girl. I know what depression looks like. It came again, and it was something, somehow, and I don't know how God does anything, but somehow I began to sense that there was a message here that I needed to find out more about. And so I took my little girls next door, left them with my neighbor, and I went to the library, the place of all knowledge. Now today, wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier if I could have just opened my computer and found out anything I needed to know? But I went to the library and I checked out five books on depression. And I came out into the car and I had these books piled on my lap. There was a little book at the top and I remember just kind of paging through it and all of a sudden it kind of opened to a page that had a black border around it. And inside of that was a testimony of a woman whose husband was suffering from chronic depression. He worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week. He did not tell the truth. He was always angry. He could not sleep. He could not eat. And the list went on, and there was my husband. Now, the best thing about that was, up until then, I had no idea where our problem was. And by the way, that is not the only problem we had. That was just one. But at least I had something definite that, my goodness, we do have a problem here. And as I read on, I read on to see that this was very dangerous and we needed help right away. And so I, uh, I actually was very relieved. I was very relieved. And I went home and I explained to Beloved 
we've got a problem, this is what part of it is, we've got to get help. And he agreed, and so I made an appointment with a psychologist, a counselor uh, that was recommended to me, and we, um, I was going to go pick him up at work, and we were going to go, it was a few days after I had made this discovery. And so I uh, went to his office, and his secretary told me, oh, Mr. Harley is in a meeting, he's called a meeting, and he can't be disturbed. And what took place next truly was part of a miracle because where I got the nerve to do this, I have no idea. But I did say, would you go tell Mr. Harley that um, if he does not come out, I'm going in. And so I left it at that. Well, Mr. Harley, that scared him to death. And so he came. And I remember we started meeting with this counselor who began to help us to see that there was actually hope but we had to get real serious because this was a very serious problem. And because he helped us to see it was serious and that it could lead to some very hard things, it scared us to death and we began to be uh, very consistent in getting uh, the help that we needed and very purposeful. There was something that began to start changing. First of all, of course, we started getting a little better and being able to discuss and stop working 18 hours and getting the rest that was needed and those kind of things that are helpful. But there was a spirit in our home that started changing. A gentler spirit, a quieter spirit. Um, I can't really explain it other than just that. It wasn't just us. It was the whole home. After about six months, we were really doing so much better, just remarkably better. And uh, we had gone on a little weekend vacation with our girls, and we were uh, at a little beach. And, and Beloved and I were laying on the blanket up there, and the little girls were bouncing around in the water. And all of a sudden, Cameron, who was two and a half at that time, came bouncing up the beach and jumped on Beloved. Well, let me just tell you, in former times, that would have caused anger because that was really the only emotion that was there. But this time, he just took that little girl and he just hugged her so close, just kissed all over her little cheeks and told her he loved her. And I'm looking at this thinking, wow, we have come a long way. And then he turned to me and he put his hand on my cheek and he said, I just want you to know I love you so much. And when he said that, I had a sense that I wanted to jump up on that beach and yell at everybody on the beach, Hey, did you hear what he just said? Did you hear those words? Are those not wonderful? Because when you've been in a desert situation for a long time and you receive this great cooling water that is so refreshing to your soul. It really is just astonishing. And I was so excited. I mean, I was just, whoa! <laughs> right at that moment, I sensed a voice speak to me. So, Pat, who do you think has done this for you? And I will only tell you, I felt like Isaiah, coming face to face with God. And I was scared to death. Because all of a sudden, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you went six months. Why didn't you catch on? I don't know why I didn't catch on. I don't know why I didn't understand that there was in, a, in our den 
I received direction. Who gave me that? I never put it together. There was a veil. But at this moment, that veil came up. And all of a sudden, I was face to face with someone out there, someone who knew me, someone who knew my problem, someone who knew how to fix it, and someone who could actually communicate with me, and it scared me to death. In fact, for some reason, my first thought is, was, you can kill me. You can take my life. And I just remember I went home. I did not turn to Beloved and say, did you hear voices? I said <laughs> nothing to him because it was so, it was so other, other. So I went home uh, after that afternoon and I went up to my bedroom and finally got alone and I got on my knees by my bed and I said, I don't know who you are and I don't know what you want, but please don't do anything until I find out. I was scared to death. God is not always obedient. Have you noticed that? He's just not. He's just not. And so he didn't think that was a good idea to do nothing. And so he started doing something. I had a catering business at that time, and I catered lunches. I had, it was the Good Day Sandwich Company. We catered lunches to the very company that my husband worked, worked for. They had about 600 people, and so every day we'd provide the lunches. I'm selling sandwiches in the little room, and a gentleman comes along who every week came along and bought an eggs alive sandwich. It's egg salad with olives on it. Every single week he would get them, and sometimes he'd get three and four of them. So he's coming by, I'm getting my sandwich ready for him, and, and he was always very kind and wonderful. And he looked over, and my guide Boast magazine was right there that I'd read it between selling sandwiches. And he said, ah, I see you're reading Guidepost magazine. And I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, well, are you a Christian? And I just remembered looking at him, and I said, well, I'm an American. <laughs> and he said, are you a born-again Christian? And I said, absolutely not. And he said, well, do you know what that means? I said, yes, I do. That is a redneck who slaps you on the back and says, have you been saved, brother? That's what that is. And he laughed and he said, no, no, no. He said, do you know that in the word of God, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. He said it very kindly, very warmly, paid for his sandwich and left. God says that the word of God never returns void. And you know what? He is not lying. Because those words were like a sword in my mind. And I just, I just remembered being like, like, it says in the Bible that? That you have to be born again? I was so taken. And God just began to work that verse in my mind. Born again. What does that mean? How do you born again? Well, the next day, he came by again, bought another sandwich, and invited my husband and I to a Bible study. And it was on marriage. We would not have gone to a Bible study on the book of Romans. We would not have gone to the Bible study on Reformed theology or dispensationalism or salvation or any of the other big words. But marriage? Oh, yes. Because we were desperate 
to build our life again. And so we signed up. I wish you could have been in the car. It was really quite interesting. <laughs> Beloved says, now listen, I don't know anything about these people, and they could be weird. <laughs> but I'm just telling you, honey, if they bring out any snakes, we're out of there. <laughs> we were scared because we didn't know who we were going to get involved with. And you know what? When people who are struggling with trying to find out who God is comes into your area of influence, there is something that it makes them a little nervous. But I will tell you, we were greeted at the door by about four or five other couples who loved us from the moment we put our foot in the door. We were greeted with such, I don't want to say enthusiasm because that sounds like they're like all over you like that, but it wasn't that. It was just that they were relaxed, they were joyful. The thing we couldn't get over is the way they talked to each other. They, I mean, they really talked to one another, husband and wife, with a lot of respect and a lot of fun, like they really, really, really loved each other, and then they loved each other as friends. And we had the best evening and no alcohol. I, we didn't know that you could do that. I mean, no one was drinking, no one was drunk, but there was the joy that was there that surpassed the joy that we would have at our drinking parties. And it was just amazing. And so we started learning about marriage, and it was pretty tame, you know, the first few. And then we get into a few sessions down where they brought out that big S word, like submission, like, what? Are you kidding me? You want me to submit to him? Things started coming that were harder for me, that I just could not grasp at all. I had a very hard time with it. And so I'd be there in the Sunday in this Bible study class and I'd be <laughs> like that inside just kind of coming up against everything they said and being a bit argumentative, though I know that's hard to believe, but I really did. And then I would go home and then through the next week, the Holy Spirit would begin to teach me, well, what about this, Pat? Well, what about this? Do you think that God is powerful enough to actually speak through your husband? Do you think that you could trust God enough to submit to your husband? And at the, as the Spirit worked, by the end of the week, I could sort of see that that might be a good idea. It was a fabulous six-week study. I don't even know what the book was. I don't know what the... We didn't have DVDs. It was just a little workbook. But what was so good about it is we started seeing there was another way to be married than the way we had been living. And it was wonderful. The last week we were there, they presented the message of salvation, that Jesus really is the only way. There's not ten ways. It is only through Jesus. And it's not because God is a mean God, it's because he's incredibly loving, and he has provided a way. And before Jesus, there was no way. And now we've got a way through Jesus. It's an incredible, loving God. When I heard that, I thought that was ridiculous. Because surely there had to be 50 ways to get to God. I mean, what about the people in Africa? And so I left there struggling with, is this a real thing or not? 
I will tell you, I'm not a, I'm not an emotional person. You will probably like never see me cry unless you make me hugely happy or I watch a sad movie. I just don't cry. I'm not a crying person. But I will tell you, I, I had to know that what they were presenting was true. I would not buy it on emotion because I'm not an emotional person. It has to be the truth. I did not want to follow a lie. And so I began to wrestle with God and wrestle with this. My brain was just always going at 90 miles an hour. And, and I'd get up in the morning and I'd have another argument. But what started happening was just weird. I'd get one of my little high horses going in my arguments. And uh, someone would drop by the house, usually from that Bible study group, just wanted to see you. And by the way, here's a little book for you, Mere Christianity. Now there we had a smart man who was writing in a highly intelligent way, presenting an excellent case for Christianity. I devoured that book. And then somebody else showed up with uh, about two weeks later with evidence that demands a verdict. And all of a sudden, I began to see that historically, Jesus really did live. I mean, really did live. And he really did die. And yes, indeed, there is so much proof that he really did come blazing out of that grave. If that is true, Christianity has to be true. Everything hangs on that one event. And it just began to start making sense. I can remember two or three times that I would get up in the morning and have my little argument ready, and I'd get in the car and turn on the radio, and there's Chuck Swindoll. And I know he was saying, Now, Pat, you were questioning this one little thing, and I'd like to address that today. <laughs> you know, Jesus says that we really are to love one another. And that other people will know that we are followers of Him because of the way that we love one another. But I will tell you one thing. That little group of people who showed us a different way had a dynamic impact on our lives. You have no idea when you choose to love one another and to show that love to your neighbors, to your enemies, to your friends, wherever you're showing it, the man at the grocery store, you have no idea the impact that you are making. I, I don't think until we actually went back and told them thank you, they ever had any idea that just them being themselves was so powerful. You being yourself with Christ living through you among a lost and dying world has more power than you could ever imagine. You are showing Jesus by the way you love. Well, I'm wrestling for weeks. I wish I could tell you I was a fast learner. I was extremely slow and I'm very stubborn. And so a number of weeks went by, maybe six, maybe eight. And I really felt like I was almost running out of arguments, but not quite. I was on my way to the grocery store. I truly sensed that Jesus was sitting in the seat next to me. It was so powerful, I could have almost reached out and touched him. And here is what he said. Pat, choose now. But I don't know. Well, I'm still worried about those poor natives in Africa. Pat, We've gone around this long enough. Today's the day. Choose. My first inclination was to say, no, thank you. No, thank you. 
because you know sometimes we make this step into Christianity easy you know just uh, go up and say a prayer or whatever uh uh-uh. uh I knew it wasn't easy I knew that what he wanted was all of me the way I thought the way I behaved the way I served what I did with my life the way I raised my children the way I handled my marriage it wasn't that he just wanted me on Sunday what he was calling me to was a full life commitment and I will tell you that was an enormous struggle my brain was going 90 miles an hour but then something happened I started realizing that he had been pursuing me like a lover for weeks and I had sensed his presence as I'm arguing with him and that now if I said no he would not be there any longer I sensed that and I knew I didn't want to live without him and so in my car very disrespectfully because I had no idea who I was dealing with I said okay 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 you've got me I'm yours I'm yours there now done I had no idea I was a sinner I had no idea any of that because I never thought of myself as a sinner but I did know that on that day I said yes to Jesus Christ well the next day I went to get my Salem's and And I truly felt like I heard him say, you know what, you don't really need those anymore because you belong to me. And you know, I didn't buy them. I've never wanted a cigarette from that moment on that I said yes to him in that car. I spilled a jar of tomato juice out of the refrigerator. That is worthy of salty language, if anything is. And so I went to say the words that would come naturally to me. And I felt a hand on my throat. But you don't need to talk that way anymore. You belong to me. The drinking, just not a real desire for drunkenness or that sort of behavior anymore. And God began to move us into a group of people who were like-minded. He began to bring us incredible teachers. uh, Bruce Wilkinson, Ken Boa. Uh, uh, just the list is pretty long of men that all of a sudden were in our life teaching us. It was in the late 60s, early, uh, late 70s, early 80s, and for those of you who are alive during that time, um, <laughs> that was a high spiritual time. I truly think there was a true revival going on across America at that time. And so there was lots of great literature and lots of opportunities. It would be later that I would start, not much, like a week, that I started learning that the Word of God was God speaking to me, telling me who He was and who I am, and how I could behave in His kingdom, how I could be as His daughter, the great privileges that came with that, and the incredible responsibilities of being a princess priest, which is what we are if we believe in Jesus Christ. There was one more thing that he had to work with me, and that was on the area of fear, and that came about three years later. I was in total bondage, entirely enslaved to fear, entirely. I was reading the book of Joshua, and I read this. Now, these guys are all just ready to go into battle and, and take an entire land, all of uh, Israel. They're, they're going to have battle after battle after battle. And they're not the, like the, the best warriors in the world by any means. They haven't had a lot of practice. And so God, if Jesus appears to Joshua uh, in the form of the captain of the host, 
And he, he uh, tells him this, Joshua, I command you, do not be afraid. I command you, do not be anxious, do not tremble, do not, all of those things that come with fear that I did every single day, almost every hour of every day. Don't be afraid. And his reason was just remarkable. It wasn't that I'm going to give you the best horses or the best swords or the best anything. Don't be afraid, Joshua, because I am with you. Period. That's why you're not afraid. I began to read that over and over again. He is commanding us to be people of courage. It's a command. I began to do a word uh, study on fear, afraid, tremble, anxious. And it says over 365 times in the Bible, don't be. So if you choose to be without doing anything about it, I think it's absolute sin. You're disobeying the command of God. And I did not want to disobey my Lord. And so I asked him to begin to cut out my fear. I wanted it out. I wanted to be a woman of courage more than anything in the world. I wanted to do anything and everything he asked me to do. And every day, every day for two years, I would get up and I would pray, Lord, please continue to work. Take this fear away. Help me to be strong and courageous that I can be a a valiant warrior for you. Two years later, I was on my way to the airport. I hated to fly. I was terrified of flying among about 50 other things that I was scared to do. And on my way to the airport, I had this most incredible sense that I was actually excited about getting on a plane. I mean, I was looking forward to it. And it just hit me, Lord, you're answering my prayer. I'm going to get on that plane and I'm not going to be scared to death. And you know what? I think I've been on planes ever since then. And I am not afraid because God is the healer. He is the healer. He will give you what you need to get out of the bondage and slavery that you stay in. Do not fear, for I am with you. It is not an overnight thing. I think it can be, and you might be one of those examples, but for me it was not. It was a long-term thing. And even now, sometimes I'll have to go back and say, Oh, I feel that bondage coming on, Lord. Come on, Lord, take this away from me and help me refocus my eyes on your presence, your power, your protection. Because my soul is protected with you. Well, that is my story. I'm sticking to it. But here's one thing I know. You can be alive and not have life. And some of you today might be alive, but you don't have life. Moses held that up and he said, Indeed, this is your very life. This is how you know how to live is through God's word. Because those are the only words out of all the universe, out of the billions of words in different languages God has that are available, he's taken all of those and brought it down into 66 small books. And you know what, ladies? I think we're accountable. I think we're accountable for what he's given us. Because it is through the word that you will have life and light. It will be a mirror to you to help you to see sin in your life so you can get rid of it. It will, it will give you truth all comes through his word. I'm big on that. I hope you'll be big too. If you do not know Jesus today, may I just invite you to go to him and ask him, 
Lord, are you real? Show me. Reveal yourself to me. The Bible says that he delights in that. He delights in revealing himself to you. And then if he asks you to be his own, and he will, say yes. Say yes. Let me pray for us, and then we'll head on out. Heavenly Father, Lord, I... uh, it's just always thrilling for me and Jeannie to come here. This is our second time in Macon, and we were so excited all the way down here. We just appreciate this incredible privilege of being here with these beautiful women, Lord. I pray, Father, with all that I have, that if there's anyone here who does not know you, that you would brilliantly, dynamically, powerfully reveal yourself to her and invite her into your kingdom. And Father, for the rest, I would ask that you would raise us up to be mighty warriors for your glory alone. The day will come, Lord, that we will be pampered princesses, but for today we are in battle. I pray we will be fearless. I pray we will love so incredibly. And Father, I pray we will know your word. We thank you, Father, in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.